Hello, y'all. This is Tanya Joy, and I am so excited to announce my involvement with the Celebrity Softball Classic coming up on November 4th, 2023 at the Riders Field in Frisco, Texas. Never have I been honored to be part of a celebrity sports event ever. I know music and the stage. I am so excited because everything we're going to be doing is to benefit our veterans. There will be 200 tickets given away free to veterans, first responders, and their families for every $1,000 donation. So if you can help out, please go to CelebritySoftballClassic.org and donate today. We're also looking for corporate sponsors. Please call 817-308-5476. Go over to CelebritySoftballClassic.org and pick up your tickets now so that you can join us as we thank our veterans and first responders. We should be donating close to $200,000 to over 10 different charities. Past celebrities have included Matthew McConaughey, Isaiah Stanback from the Dallas Cowboys, Eric Warfield from the Kansas City Chiefs, Chaz Taylor, pro wrestler, Tommy Harris of the Chicago Bears, and this year, yours truly, Tanya Joy from the Tanya Joy Show. Please join me on November 4th in Frisco, Texas for the Celebrity Softball Classic. Grab your tickets now at CelebritySoftballClassic.org and help spread the word so that we can thank and support our veterans and first responders. God bless you, and I will see you there. In a world where most banks are prioritizing shareholder profits, Transact Card stands apart by putting its members first, and that's you. Join now and be part of the change. What if you could do your everyday transactions, getting gas, buying groceries, paying your house bills, and while you're doing that, making dollar for dollar back that you can then use to repurchase those items that you purchase anyway at a discount? Well, now that is possible. Check out Transact Card. This is revolutionizing the way we as conservatives shop and save and protect our money. One-time fee of $25, this card will link to your bank, and you just go about your business like you already do, except you use this card to swipe. And every time you swipe, you earn a dollar back. Don't miss this opportunity. Go to tanyajoy.transactcard.com today. That's tanyajoy.transactcard.com. Don't miss out. You're already spending money. It's time you started to make money. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the set of The Tanya Joy Show. We are happy to see you. Thank you for being here. If you are listening on Podbean or on one of our Apple podcasts, any of the audio versions, we are getting those populated. Thank you for finding the channel. Thank you for sharing it. We have been on and off audio podcasts for quite a while. We're trying to get better with that. Also, the website is up and going again. So please be sure to check out the website, tanyajoy.tv. You can be an angel, donator, or sponsor of the content, and you can do all of that over there now. We're so excited. We're getting ready to make some changes. We're going to have more of my music and some of the, the acting and the shows that I've been doing on there. So the website is getting ready for a makeover. So be sure you check that out. And if you're watching on one of the platforms like 
uh, Rumble. This one probably will not be on YouTube, um, but any of any of the other places, Cloud Hub, that we are, please make sure you're subscribed. Give a thumbs up. It helps with the algorithms, and we would appreciate that. I am so excited for our show today. All of you are going to know who this is right away because I know most of our followers are up on all the things that we're doing here. But we've got Lee Dundas in the house. Finally, I have been trying to get her on the show for about a year, and you know what? It always works when it when it works, and this is going to be a great timing. I'm very excited to have her here today. Many of you are going to know who she is. She's the renowned human rights attorney, modern day abolitionist, and celebrated public speaker. She's one of my favorites on the Reawaken tour. Um, so we're very excited to have her. We're going to talk about her book, My Fight for Freedom, where she has been really diving deep and exposing today's most popular form of slavery, which is human trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking. These are such hot topics. And it's it's still devastating to me that so many people are unaware that this is literally going on, not just in, in nations overseas, but right here under our very noses. So this is going to be a very good conversation today. We are going to get started, but before we do, I want to highlight one of our new partners, Verve Spray Vitamins. These guys are awesome. You've got to try them. They're little sprays that you can like Put six in a bag and stick them in your luggage and travel. Multivitamin, uh, zinc, and vitamin C, melatonin. They have a melatonin one, which helps you sleep at night. And their little sprays, super tiny, all uh, FAA approved or whatever. She can bring them on the airplane. We love them. So check them out, and we will be right back with Lee Dundas. Okay, well, we weren't shocked. Over again. Now, welcome back to the show. You as well. I'm so excited to have you both on the show. And I know we had such good uh, feedback and reception. General Flynn, what an jo- honor. Joshua, Joshua tracked me down in a big tent of about 4,000 people. How are you? I am doing so great. Hello, everybody. Thank God, I am wonderfully great. Hello. Thank you very much. Because... What is prayer? I'm just Jewish, you know what I mean? And I'm thrilled to be here with the two of you. (laughs) Me too. And that's who these crazies, these evil ones. It is. You said it right. Good job. All right. The Gibson sisters. We are so excited to have them on with us on Resistance Chicks today. Good morning, good morning. It's time to rise. These people that get higher up, how sometimes I've thought these are glory days and not gloomy days. Like I love this. You know, it kind of works. Awesome about the tour is people like you. Good. I love the applause. That's cool. <laughs> there we go. Thank Hi, Joy. Everybody, welcome. We are so excited. Are you ready to get the show on the road? Let's go. Government-induced inflation, taxes, rising interest rates, political instability. 
All of these can have a crushing effect on our investments, often causing the stock market to go down. But they can also cause gold and silver to go up. Hi, this is Dr. Kirk Elliott. Buy gold, buy silver, buy now, but buyer beware. Precious metals companies are not created equal. As a PhD economist, I have been in the financial, economic, and precious metals business for three decades. The philosophy of my firm is people over profit. I encourage you to read my bio to learn more about me at kirkelliotphd.com. Now is the time to own physical metals in an IRA, 401k, and outside of a retirement plan. Don't let the government destroy your hard-earned assets any longer. Call 720-605-3900 or visit kirkelliotphd.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Lee, I am so excited to finally have you on the show. I can't tell you. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting to be here. It's uh, I know we've been playing like, uh, you know, tag for like twelve exactly. months. Like, hey, are you going to be able to do it here? Or no, or how about you there? And you know, exactly. finally, in God's time, you know, it, uh, and God willing, here we are. <laughs> so. Exactly, and it always like that's something I've had to learn doing this. Right, is it's always at the right timing. It's always exactly yeah. at the right time that something works out. And uh, it's important for us to rest in that as hard as it is these days. But I am so excited to hear about what you're doing. Um, so of course, we're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about what you've seen. Um, but can you give my audience just like your recap of who you are? How did you get here? Like, I'm always fascinated by that because I believe that all of us have gone through some crazy stuff to really be used in the way we are right now. So what, like, what's your kind of backstory with that from your own words? Um, well, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's a good, it's a good question. And I don't often share about my early life. I usually take it from uh, age 14 when I went to college, um, a, a few years younger than most, but um, I, I had one really good parent and I had one really not so good parent. Um, and I don't know if it was nature or nurture that sort of made me the loud mouth, uh, stick up for the underdog kind of girl that I am. But, you know, it, when, when you're raised in that kind of an environment, you sort of learn early on, you know, whether it's because of necessity or because you're just hardwired, you know, as you came into this planet to, to be who you are. But um, it was probably a little of both looking back. I mean, I think I was always very verbal mm -hmm. and I was always very like willing to speak up most of the time. But um, being raised in that sort of a dynamic also sort of taught me that you, you have to, you just have to speak up. Like things don't get better if you hold your tongue and you can't necessarily listen to what people say. You have to watch what they do. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> you get very, very good, you know, at listening to the sound of footsteps in the hallway and at, you know, listening to the sound of voices or those laughing voices coming through the wall or mm -hmm. are those crying sounds. Um, it, just all sorts of really environmental uh, indications that are pre-programmed or very hardwired into you from a very, very er early age on. And, you know, I was always just that person, you know, I mean, I remember being in like band class in sixth grade and our band, I, yeah, I played the clarinet for a hot second nice. and then it was okay. piano. I was actually nice. a music, a music major in college, if you can believe it. I was really? a piano major. Yeah. Until I changed it to sociology because I was fascinated by wow. um, why people and how people think like they do and how groups in particular uh, can go off the rails as a group of people did under, you know, Hitler and Nazi Germany. So I switched my major, yeah. but 
very, very short time, um, I was I was a music major. And, you know, it's so funny, like, if you walk into our house, my husband's a physician, I'm a lawyer, but you see like a grand piano and drums as soon as you walk in the in the front door to our house, because that's just sort of who we I will. I was going to say who we are. It's who we used to be when we had a little bit of free time and now we have no free time. But but yeah, I was just I was just always the one who would speak up. And I remember in band class, they had a substitute teacher and literally he was like older than Moses. And I mean, I just hugely ancient fossil of a guy and couldn't hear and was just letting these, you know, roughhousing sixth grade boys literally like throw spitballs across the room and th objects and people were standing on desks. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? And I'm like, that's it. So I raised my hand and I, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I need to go to the bathroom. And I went past the bathroom and I went into the principal's office um, and the door was open. I'm like, it is like, you know, animal, whatever that movie animal was. House. Like, yeah. Animal house. I'm like, it is crazy. It is like world war three in this room. Um, this is not okay. You need to do something. And I was probably a little bit sharp tongued even wow. then as I tend to be. And I remember the principal saying, young lady, you're out of line. And, you know, I'm very fair. And whenever I get embarrassed or I think I've done something wrong, um, it's better now. I've had a lot of practice, you know, being a, an attorney and and uh, certainly over the last few years. But I used to blush from like my top of my rib cage to the top of my head. So my whole face would turn purple. Wow. And my collarbone would turn purple. The first time I went to court and I was nervous, it, it happens when I'm happy or excited too, or nervous. But the first time I went to court, um, I was working for the DA's office really old judge called me into his chambers afterward and he goes you did an amazing job and I never would have known it was your first day except for the fact that um your your neck and collarbone were purple so I would suggest wearing um mock turtlenecks that go to your chin because your face wow. looks pretty normal with all the face makeup on but the rest of you was was splotchy purple and I was like okay and really up until probably five or 10 years ago, anytime I had a public uh, speaking appearance, you'd see me in a mock turtleneck to hide my neck. That's so funny. Yeah. So anyway, long, I'm way off in the weeds. But no, it's great. The, it's great. The answer to your question is I've always stuck up for the underdog. The principal ended up following me back, chewing me out, but he did follow me back to the classroom and personally took over the class Wow. Uh, for the rest of our period and the rest of the day. And, you know, I just, even when I was scared and that's, that's really the takeaway. And it's one of the things I talk about in my book. I'm like, look, you may look at a lawyer or some other public speaker or politician and think, oh, they're doing what I could never do. Like they make it look easy. They were born to do this. You have to realize that even people who are naturally more eloquent, we get nervous. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you do before you go out on stage, singing, talking, whatever, like yeah. we get nervous. You don't do it because you're not nervous. Right. You do it despite that fact. Yeah. And the only way you're going to get over it is to do it in spite of the fact that you feel like throwing up and your voice is shaking and a, a judge in LA County in 1993 is going to tell you that you did a good job in court today, but you know, your chin and your neck were the color of the purple glass. So um, you just, you just got to keep doing it. And eventually all of those wow. other manifestations roll off. But but yeah, yeah I, learned, I learned early, you got to, you got to stick up for the little guy or yourself or it doesn't get better. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I always love the backstory because I think it tells a lot about the person and it's encouraging to others because we need others to join in this fight, obviously oh, yeah. big time. And so I just always like to highlight, here's where the person came from because 
We all have a backstory and none of the, like you said, this is not easy when you're out on, on the front lines like this, this is not easy. So, yeah. you, okay. So obviously you, you went to school, you've been a lawyer, but you're definitely such a human rights activist. And many people know about, you know, what you've done in the midst of the lockdowns and all of that. And, but I really want to highlight the fight you're doing now with, with trafficking, because this, this is such, this is a very hot topic yeah. personally as well. And it, it's so connected with, uh, this, it really is connected with Hollywood. It's connected with the trans agenda. It's connected with push on the education of our schools and the hypersexualization of our kids. It's just, they're all connected. And I, I wish people would understand more how connected they all are. So how did you get into that? Like, what was it that, that you then started to really get in? And then I want to read a section of your book, if it'd be okay, um, that was in this because I just, it's, it's just brilliant. So, but first share, how did, how did you kind of get into that? Well, um, going, going back to the DA's office, uh, my third year of law school, I was in, I was an intern and back in the day, maybe even still now, I don't know. Um, they allow third year law students to actually do jury trials. I mean, not, you know, yeah. rape and murder ones, but you know, they allow you to, I, it, one of the cases I had was an escaped prisoner. There were two convicts that escaped from a minimum security prison out here in SoCal. And um, obviously that's its own separate crime, which I didn't know about. Like I'd never thought about the fact that people in jail actually successfully get out of jail. And then that adds years to their sentence when they're, yeah. you know, put back in. But um, so they let you do cases like that where the guy's already a bad guy. It's already a done deal. He's going back to jail. Even if you mess up the case, he's <laughs> still still doing hard time on his first crime, you know, um, and, and, you know, lesser, lesser, things like I say lesser things, but drug crimes, alcoholic, you know, drunk driving, that kind of thing. Um, so I had volunteered uh, to do, I, I actually, I actually, my second year of law school, I volunteered to go represent incarcerated inmates at Terminal Island Prison here off of the coast wow. of Long Beach. Yeah. And I remember my mom going, you're, you're doing what? You're representing who? Like these yeah. hardened criminals. And she's like, you're going to wear, because I had long blonde hair at the time. She's like, you're going to wear your hair back and pinned up under like a beanie and ugly clothes and you know oh my gosh a jog bra that flattens your chest you're going into an all-male prison and I'm like mom it's gonna be fine and and I was really young too because I had started college at 14 and I yeah. graduated at 17 so I wasn't just like a young 20 year old I was like 19 or something yeah. you know I mean like younger really than even young. the average law student so and I looked like a sorority girl, which I had just been, you know. That's so funny. So I walk in and I, I sit down with my first client whose meth lab had blown up in his kitchen in some part of Cali. Oh and he's like, well, you know, and the, the DEA and the this and the that. I'm, and I'm writing frantic notes. I'm like, the DE, the DE what? And he goes, the DEA, little girl, the Drug Enforcement Agency, don't you? How new are you? <laughs> I was like, like. And so I spent a semester representing um, these guys. And, you know, I do believe in the criminal justice system. I believe everybody has, they're innocent until proven guilty. Everybody deserves a fair trial. We pick up a lot of people who are not guilty. I mean, look at today's yes. society, right? right. So, so we all, we all should have our day in court. I firmly believe that. But for me, 99% of the time when I went in there, I was representing guys who had a rap sheet longer than their arm. They should have already been doing hard time on all these other, you know, yeah. bad crimes that they had already like managed to slip through the system on or as a prosecutor that we weren't allowed to tell the jury about because you didn't want to 
bias the jury with all their other bad deeds wow. and only talk about their new crime that they did this year, right? Yeah. And it was just, so I didn't want to be representing criminals, long story short. So third year of law school, I went to the DA's office and I did my little cases involving, you know, the baggie of cocaine or meth that got thrown out the window that the cop picked up and caught the guy and, mm -hmm. and there I am. Um, and at the, on the last day, the guy in charge of the office looked at me and he goes, you're really good. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm sure you say that's all the interns. And he goes, no, no, you're really good. And you're passionate and you're very good on your feet. And we could use you here. And if you come back after you graduate, there's a job waiting for you with your name on it. And after a year or two, you could go do all, you know, full-time like sex crimes or child abuse crimes. And I was fascinated and I really wanted to say yes, but I had just sort of come out of a rough childhood myself. And I thought, you know, I don't want to spend all day, every day, like representing these people. And I'd watched a couple of rape cases go to trial. And in particular, a little girl who had been um, uh, sexually abused at a, a shelter, at a, like a Goodwill or Salvation Army shelter. Wow. And the jury foreman was a clown. The guy in charge of the jury was a clown. Um, and, uh, literally that was his day job. And oh how they ironic did, is that? that right. And they did not vote to prosecute the guy. And it was, it was clear as day. The 12 year old wit witness was so articulate. She explained exactly what had happened to her. Her parents did, they were ESL, you know, from, from Mexico. My God. And, and two of these damn jurors, the, the jury foreman and another one hung the jury or, swayed it and and because you get to interview the jury at the end of at the end of it and i thought you a-hole like yeah how dare you it was just so obvious that there and, and there'd been a bunch of evidence we hadn't been allowed the da's office had not been allowed to present that would have you know he was clearly That's a repeat true. offender and i remembered that case as the guy was asking me to come back and take a full-time job there and i thought you know what I just can't. I don't think I can stomach the losses and I don't want to spend all day every day drowning in other people's messed up lives because yeah. I just extricated myself from that to some degree after spending 17 years and of my childhood in that. And I was like, you know, no, I'm. And so I said, thank you. No, thank you. I have, I have law school debt to pay down. And I'd been given a job offer from a white shoe law firm where mm -hmm. they were paying top dollar. I mean, they were paying 10 times almost what I would have made at the DA's office. And off I went. And the first day, the first day I went to practice there, I remember looking at the clock on the wall thinking, oh, it should be time to go home now. And I'd gotten in at like nine and it was like 10, 13 or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it has only been an hour. It felt like eight. And I knew, I knew I had made a mistake wow. and I didn't correct it for decades until wow. 2013 when I'd stopped practicing law, I'd been working with my husband's office. He had a healthcare office here in Orange County. We'd sold the office. We were getting ready to go um, traveling in Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand for like a half year. We took my eight-year-old daughter out of school. It was one of the last days I was packing up his office and there were magazines on his coffee table in his lobby. And I'm like, oh, the new owners of, the, of his office aren't going to want that. And I went to throw them all away. And the Red Book or the Good Housekeeping, whatever it was, fell open to an article on three women who had been fighting sex slavery. And I read one of the articles. It was a girl who had actually been sex trafficked and gone on to go to law school and business school at UCLA and then formed her own anti-sex trafficking organization. It's called Runaway Girl. Her book is called Runaway Girl. And her name is Carissa Phelps. And I was so touched by her story. Yeah, I'll tell her story really quickly just to give you an idea of how it can happen. She grew up in a 
chaotic family like I did, one of like 11 or like a ton of kids. Uh-huh. And one day she's like, okay, I'm going to run away from home. And she took a little bit of money. She was like 11 or 12 years old, ran away from home, got herself a motel room and went out to get something to eat and tripped over a girl on the sidewalk who was crying and had been beaten up. And she felt bad for this other girl. Yeah. She's like, you can follow me back to my motel room. I mean, very, very kind hearted. Yeah. Very kind hearted and very forward thinking, like 11 or 12 year old girl. Carissa yeah. was like, I never could have done that. Right? right. And unbeknownst to her, it was a girl who was beholden to a pimp. The pimp had beaten her up. The pimp was watching. The pimp followed Carissa and the girl back to Carissa's motel room and ended up turning out, which is the phrase to start sex trafficking, uh, Carissa and his other girls. And then two weeks later, when Carissa was in the car wearing Garfield underwear, this was like the 80s, um, the whole carload of girls got pulled over and the pimp, pimp got busted. The girls were arrested. Okay. They arrested all these young girls for the crime of what? Being raped, you know, 10 times a night. Um, there is no such thing as a child prostitute, but that's the way it used to work. It's the way it still works in many jurisdictions. They arrest the girl who's a, a victim. But anyway, and they busted Carissa. They took her down to the station. They fingerprinted her. They mugshotted her. They strip searched her. They made her squat and cough to make sure she didn't have contraband in any orifices of her body. And she's like, she does training. To, I, I sometimes do trainings with her to this day. And she'll look at a room full of cops because she's telling them this is not what you do, right? Yes. And she's like, I was made to squat and cop. I was like 11 or 12 or whatever, wearing Garfield underwear. So when you pull over girls and you go to a rest time, you think about, hey, if this were your sixth grade daughter, would yeah. you do this? You know? So anyway, her story was amazing. Wow. I'm like crying as I read her story in Red Book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, who is she? And I get on the internet and I Google her and a phone number comes up. And I'm like, okay, what are the odds it's going to actually like pick up if, you know, she's going to pick up if I call her. And I dialed the phone number and she picked up on like the first or second ring. And she goes, oh, I live in, she lived, uh, I don't know, up the coast of Cali somewhere, but she goes, I'm actually in LA today and tomorrow. So if you can come to LAX and have coffee with me before my plane flies out tomorrow, we can meet and chat. And I'm, and I was about to be on a plane to Australia, but we both had just one more day and I'm like, yes, I will be there with bells on. And we sat and talked for like an hour or two. I fell in love with the work. I fell in love with her. Um, and she's like, well, when you come back from Australasia in four or six months or whatever, give me a call. And then she gave me all these pointers and long story short, I couldn't even wait until I got home. I got really, really bored within the first three days of traveling and living in utopia. Oh, we're vacationing. It should be so amazing. I was just bored. And I cold called, cold called, cold called a bunch of anti-sex slavery nonprofits. Finally, um, I got an invitation months later. I got a whole bunch of rejections first to go to Da Nang, Vietnam and meet with these people that I didn't know from Adam, who were ironically from Orange County, California, and we're all meeting for the first time in Da Nang, Vietnam, to meet with the prime minister in Vietnam and talk about sex trafficking issues in that country. Wow. And I spent the whole day with this crew. It was an executive crew of an anti-sex slavery nonprofit founded by Australian pastors who had immigrated to Newport Beach uh-huh. and did church plantings. Wow. Um, and the name of it was A21 Campaign. It's A21.org. It stands for Abolishing 21st Century Slavery. Wow. It's run by Nick and Christine Kane. You may have heard of them. They're very yeah. famous in their own right. And um, I volunteered my time working my way through Asia as we were vacationing, um, doing volunteer work for their sex slavery nonprofit and came home with a job. Wow. 
That's incredible. That that's I'm so glad you shared that because one, it really shows kind of that also example of persistence and fight, you know, going, you feel called to something. Yeah. Like you said, you got a lot of rejections a lot, but the right door opened the right place that you were supposed to be. That's wild. Oh my gosh. That is okay. So I want to read a, a portion of your books. I just love this. And then, and actually, I think this is actually an email from 2018. Um, but it's in your book, right? It's, it's in the book and it's actually, um, it's in the color photo section, but the email itself is actually on the back of the book and the picture it references is also on the back of the book. And it's also, uh, it's reprinted in full at the beginning of what is a 25 page color photo section in the book, which doubled the cost of printing. But yeah. I really, really, really wanted the wow. readers to be able to see what the inside of these child brothels looked like. Um, I blurred out the faces of the girls. Um, same with my poster, the, the girl's face is blurred out here, but um, I wanted, you know, I know that a lot of people want to help. Um, and the first step of that is awareness, Yeah. but you, you don't, a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm -hmm. And I wanted people to be able to go to this brothel town with me without having to risk their lives to do it. Because yeah. the town that I work in has 140 child brothels. It's in the deep south of Thailand along the Malaysia border and across the river on the Malaysia side are radical jihadi terror training camps. So the first year I worked there, we had 330 bombs go off. It was a bomb a day. They just bombed the living heck out of the brothel. So it's not everybody's cup of tea to go leaving the, their eight-year-old behind with their husband like I did in 2013 and going to this town and trying to you know, help the sex slaves there. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to tell the story so you could ride shotgun with me in a safe way in the book. And then if your heart was touched to, to help with the work, there's so many different ways to get involved that can keep you safe and sound in your city here in America um, yeah. or wherever you live. But yeah, go ahead and read the email because yeah. I think I know which one it is. Yeah, it's just, it's so beautiful. So this is, this is the email that Lee wrote. I've made it safely to what is ground zero of the red light jihadi region where radicalized Muslim bombers are seeking to liberate an Islamic state. Since my last trip to this town of 140 child brothers, brothels, the two hotels or brothels that I usually stay at were bombed. After the sun went down tonight, we traveled through this no man's land that leaves one questioning whether hell is truly reserved for those who've passed. The last photo captures in garish colors and unflinching light the juxtaposition that keeps me coming back to this work. These girls are being raped for profit multiple times a night by men five times their age in what is unequivocally the fastest growing criminal economy on this planet. Their only witnesses, the teddy bears lining every corner of their rooms. That leaves you speechless. I mean, it just yeah. leaves you speechless. Yeah, the um, the night we went out, it was a really dark night. We were rolling with a couple of nurses that our organization had hired. So when, when A21 hired me, I was nominally speaking their general counsel, which is a fancy word for like an in-house lawyer, but actually they hired me to go open their Southeast Asia office. They were operating at that point almost exclusively in Europe overseas. We did not have any um, outfit organizational setting at all in Southeast Asia. So I was supposed to go over there, hire former Navy SEAL guys, former SWAT team cop, you know, 
highly trained special forces guys uh, to pretend to be pedophiles, to pretend to be Johns or buyers and go into these areas um, and get the, get the rundown on, you know, is this brothel heavily armed? Are the bouncers carrying knives or guns? How many girls are enslaved there? Are they from Laos? 90% of the girls we rescue in this town are not Thai or Cambodian. They're from Laos. Um, so why not get Lao? Because why it's really is, communist. Okay, I was going to say, why is it? Because I, I really wasn't aware of this. That So tr why is that region so uh, heavy in trafficking? Why is it is it worse than other areas? Because they're communists. Because of the communists. And that is why we need to get right side up here in America on what's yeah. going on here. Or pretty soon it will be your child's skull that is looking back at you because it floats up from a shallow grave after you've been genocided into shallow graves like Pol Pot did in Cambodia. By the way, I took my daughter to the killing fields of Cambodia and I didn't know that this structure was at the end of the self-guided walking tour, that the whole tour is just a bunch of empty fields. It looks like a bunch of empty fields here in Orange County. Um, but at the end, which wasn't, um, capable of being seen when I was Googling it in Cambodia because there's heavy censorship, even, 10 years ago, um, there is a big glass structure. And basically Pol Pot did a communist overthrow of their government in the 70s when I was a child. And um, he grabbed all the intellectual elite in Phnom Penh, their, their capital city, and he ran them out into the fields. And when they didn't die quickly enough uh, from starvation, he would just execute them with a hatchet in the back because you could reuse the hatchet. And he'd let these people, after he axed them in the back, just fall face down into these shallow graves and the graves are so shallow that it's now almost 50 years later. And when the rains come every fall, um, like they do, it, it washes away the, the silty little top layer of soil and bones of the dead, sometimes with clothing still attached, will rise up and the Cambodians will put these bones by category. So all the skulls in one, all the leg bones, femurs, wow. you know, in another, in this glass structure. So every, you know, I don't know, eight or 10 inches and there's another shelf in the structure and it's skulls and then it's femurs and then it's baby skulls. So my daughter takes off across the field. I didn't know about this structure. I never would have probably taken her, although I'm very happy in retrospect I did. Yeah. And by the time I catch up, because, you know, she's eight, eight years old, very fast. She is literally, her little nose is pressed against the glass you saw with the skulls looking out. And she asked me, she said, mama, how did this happen? And I said, those in power lied. And by the time the people figured it out, it was way too late. So yeah. let this be a lesson to you. But that is what communism looks like. And yeah. let me tell you something. When you survey our college youth, and my daughter's a sophomore in college. She just went back to college this month. Um, fully 51, 52% of our youth right now, I think the last study showed, say that it would be super cool to live in a communist or socialist country. Well, I'll tell you something. Not my flipping kid. Right. My kid at age third grade was nose to nose with the results yeah. of where communism leads. So is she maybe a little more liberal than I would like? Yeah. Like, you know, oh, you know, equality. And like when, you know, I was rolling my eyes during campus orientation because they were telling her at college, like, oh, and if you're a woman, you're oppressed. So all oh, your God. feminine hygiene products and tampons are free for life. And I'm like, oh, my God. And my daughter's like, mom, don't say anything. <laughs> She's a little, you know. How I'm do not you do that? That has to be so hard. I mean, because I am nowhere near as as outspoken as you are. But when I, my daughter starts college in the fall. And so when we went, she knew she would just leave the room. She just go to the other side. Cause as soon as I got up and went up, I was like, all right, so here's what I need to know. 
right? <laughs> what yeah. are you going to do if the government takes your money? Cause you're not yeah. representing enough of this and that. And what yeah. are you, and my daughter's like, you know, in the corner, I can't imagine how you would stay quiet in that. It, it was rough. I mean, I really, really tried to be, I don't want to say not who I am, but the mildest version of who I am. Um, and the yeah. reason for that, um, and if you read the acknowledgement in my book, um, you'll see why. But, um, you know, my I prioritized the fight for the last 42 months. And um, that, that took a lot away. You know, I, I spent three months on the road in the summer of 21 um, traveling to other states, you know, with the Arise Freedom Tour. Yeah. And I wasn't home that summer. And I didn't know my daughter was going to collapse her junior, senior year into one. And that I was essentially missing one of the very last summers she'd be home. I thought she'd be in in high school for another extra year, but she accelerated because she was tired of all the BS in, in Cali. Um, and there was just so much that time that I did not share with her because I was fighting for the planet, for everybody's kids, for our own survival. Um, and I would, I would justify that with the fact that, you know, I'm sure it's what was running through some version of that is what ran through the White Rose resistance and the Schindler, you know, of Schindler's yeah. List fame, which is if I don't save the country and the planet, my child won't have a childhood. Right. right? So I I deemed it to be the lesser of two evils, but that is not to say that it was without cost. Absolutely. And the cost was borne by my child. Yeah. And so... When she said, mom, um, for my 17th birthday, I want to go to a casino in Vegas and see Keith Urban. And they were masking and testing. Um, I said, okay, we're going to do this. We will do a saliva test and I will call. And when the rules change every two weeks, I will keep jumping through endless hoops. And I don't believe in the testing, but we're going to do it this way. And no part of that is going to touch this. We're going to spit into the thing. And, you know, and I will take a mask in and I've never worn a mask, um, but I, I took kids. a mask in. Yeah. And, and I didn't wear a mask there either. I had it with me, but the reality is, um, It was his first day back in the casino and there were thousands of people in that venue and they had ushers who I'm sure had been given marching orders to be good little, you know, uh, SS Stasi. Uh And and everybody went, got a drink, gave us an excuse to rip off the mask and never, ever put it back on except for one whole row that was sitting next to me of obvious Democrats. And I, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I just kept looking at him like farting dog, like, yeah. Like literally, I, I would look at them and they, they'd look over and I'm like, like what are you doing? And yeah. I am proud to say that my peer pressure used for good and not for evil, you know, good for the goose, good for the gander. I was at the butt end of that. I never caved to it. All of the row had unmasked by the end of the two and a half, three hour concert, except for two holdouts. So wow. um, I, did things, I did things for my child um, that I would not have done for myself left to my own devices. And that is the trade-off I make because I sacrificed so much of her childhood to the fight. And if I had to do it again, would I do it the same? Yes. My parents, you know, my mom was Eastern European. Her father's family uh, escaped Eastern Europe when the communists were coming for them. And then they left the older brother, my grandfather's eldest brother behind to face the fascist 20 years later during Hitler's time where he was out to kill the Romani and not just the Jews. We had our own Holocaust. So, I heard it from my mom and I heard it from my dad, whose dad's, my dad's dad was on the deck of the 
the West Virginia when it was sunk out from under him in Pearl Harbor in 41. So they both very clearly said from the time I could walk and talk, like it is country first. Yeah. And if, if shit, if the shit hits the fan, you will stand and fight. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm a little girl. Like, what do you, like, I'm not going to join the military, but they must've seen something coming that I didn't. And, yeah. and they made it very clear with, because you think, oh, it's, it's me and it's my kids. And, and once you have a kid, it's my kid. And then, then it's myself, put the oxygen mask on my kid first. Exactly. Whatever the fight is, and then I'll go fight, you know, for my employer, for the group, for the mm-hmm. bigger group, which is humanity for my country. No, no. I'm here to tell you, you have the, the ordering on that wrong, and it is a fatal mistake. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a country that protects your right to gather, your right to speak, the minority viewpoint, your right to bear arms, mm-hmm. you will have no family. That's you right. will have no family. You will be genocided like the Cambodians, like the Rwandans, like the Jews and Romani, my ancestors. You know, you will be face down in a shallow grave. So your answer of the initial question, I'm so far off in the weeds, I can even- No, this is great. It was communism that left the girls in Laos so damn poor that they, the parents would end up selling the, the eldest daughter to a brothel because if they didn't, all of the kids would starve Yeah, that, that year. So 90% of the girls that we are dragging out of Thai brothels are Laotian. Um, but, but that is the ugly reality. I mean, these girls yeah. are sold and they're happy. Like we took a Christian film crew in we were making a little documentary in 2013. We've managed to find one girl in the brothel who would be willing to be um, interviewed. It was actually this girl's friend, not this girl, but her friend. And, and the mama son had given her a blessing. Oh yeah, she can start like a half hour late and she can go do your interview at 6 PM and wait to service her clients until 7 PM. Mm-hmm. And she sat down, she's about 12 years old in a corner of the room with her face in the shadows, like they do, like we do. And um, wearing a little peach party dress. And we asked her, hey, did you know when you got to the brothel what you, be, what you would be doing here? Yeah. Because in Europe, it's a bait and switch. The girls are 10 years older. They're 17. They're not 7 or 10, you know, or 12. And they thought they were going to be a waitress at a brothel, but then, or sorry, yeah. a waitress at a bar, but then somebody drugs them and takes their paperwork and now they're stuck in a brothel. But they didn't sign up for that. Uh-huh. But in Asia, it's so different because the families sell them. And we wanted the watcher of the documentary to understand that. So to elucidate that, we had asked her, Hey, did you know what you'd be doing when you got here? And she goes, yeah. Wow. She looked at the camera and she goes, yeah, I knew exactly what I would be doing, but I'm not unhappy. So she says that in Laotian Thai, whatever the translation comes back to us. And my British colleague leans over and he goes, Lee, there must be something wrong with the translation. Nobody is happy to be in a brothel. Ask it again. (laughs) I'm like, all right. So we ask it a second time. And she explains. She gives the exact same answer the second time. I knew exactly what I'd be doing. I'm not unhappy. And then she says, because my eight or whatever brothers and sisters have feet on the table and they're not because Yeah, because that's all on their shoulders. And then, and that was my moment. I mean, I was crying. Everybody in the room, our camera crew, we had two young Christian guys on the tripods. I look over, they've got tears dripping off their chin. I mean, there's little dots on their t-shirt of wet tears. Not a dry eye in the place, except for the girl who has tears leaking out her eyes and the most amazing look of peace and joy. And she's smiling. So there's a part of her that is and, you know, they say that micro expressions are serial. Yeah. She is simultaneously broadcasting two genuine emotions 
together, not serially, but together, which is sadness that she's trapped in a brothel and absolute peace at the fact that she knows she's alive because she's in that brothel. She hasn't starved to death and her whole family is better off for it. God. Yeah. So that is the problem. So if you want to know why when General Flynn is saying local action and yeah. you and I, you know, are going to these events every 30 days with, with uh, Clay Clark and Flynn and saying, you need to fight your corner. You need to get communism out of your schools. Yeah. You need to get on top of your election integrity issues. You need to not let drag queen story hour be going on. You need to make time to go to your school board meeting and your county board meeting and your state legislators when they've got a new bill up in the state capitol. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hear that you don't have the time. You need, you need to make time. I don't give a rat's an ass that you will take a hit at work, that you will get fired at work, <laughs> that you will take a pay cut at work, that you are whatever, getting in the doghouse with your family, your mate, your mother, your child, your boss, your, I don't care. You know why? Because if you don't stand up right now, if you don't take that hit financially, if you don't make the time to fight your corner for what is right, we will lose this war. And that is a war you cannot afford to lose because you will have one foot in the grave. And by the time they take all the other rights away, then you'll go, oh, shit, I should have stood up. I should have fought. When we interview the one survivor of the family of Cambodians that were genocided, what they say without fail is it was a bright, wonderful spring day. The yeah. birds were chirping, the sky was blue, and the Khmer Rouge under Pol Pot's direction, these black pajama-clad kids with bandanas around their head that had been brainwashed into doing communist mm -hmm. bidding, walked in and they said, oh, it's only going to be for a couple of weeks. You're going to go live in a commune. You're going to be happy. Take everything you own, whatever you can carry on your back, and you're going to go out. And they said, they said, the survivors said to us, we kept thinking it can't really be happening because yeah. everything still looks okay. The birds are singing. Wow. The it's normal. We still have our family together. And wow. if we could have wiped off the, 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 you know, the crystal ball and looked into the future and seen where mm -hmm. the road ended, mm -hmm. which was face down in a shallow grave after every inch of our family and brothers and sisters and five kids and wife had starved to death. If we could have foreseen that, we would have fought yeah. when we had money and time and whatever. But it's the slow-boiled frog problem. Yes. So don't let yourself be the slow-boiled frog is the moral of that story. Wow. To fight. That's so good because, I mean, people are weary. You know, this. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are weary right now. I get it. Things are hard. But again, like you said, if we... It's that same, you know, I know everybody says it, but if not you, who's right. going to do it? And if not now, when? It's, it's. I talk a lot about Esther. It's that same concept. If Esther wouldn't have been willing to risk her life, losing everything, yep. standing up for the truth to save the future generations yep. of people, we wouldn't be here. It, it's the same right. thing over and over and over. How can people get involved? How can they help with what your fight is? Because I know... There is a wide range. I hear it all the time. Well, I want to do some, but then people don't know what to do or or everyone's at a different place. What's the best thing you would recommend and how can they get involved? couple of things. Um, you know, continue to educate yourself by watching people's podcasts. I'm going to have a podcast coming out soon. Stay tuned. Don't know quite what I'm going to name it yet, um, but we're looking to launch this month. Uh, you can't fight what you don't know about. 
Um, yeah, so you need to good. get educated and we all know mainstream media, mockingbird media is not the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first step is awareness, whether you want to fight for human trafficking, um, you know, fight the trans, you know, queen, drag queen agenda in your school, drag queen story hour, whatever it is, masking of your kids, mandating vaccines, whatever, you know, you got to get your arms around the data and the data is not coming to you through CNN, which I know you all know if you're watching this already. So, so support the podcasters because here's the thing, guys, like everybody without fail, when I ask on the stage, do you think we're at war? People are like, oh yeah, we're at war. Like, okay, do you think it's a bombs going off war or a fifth generation war with like, you know, information war, like psyops yeah. war? Oh no, it's, it's a psyops information war. Great. Well, you have to recognize that the way we have won wars in the past is we sent warriors off to battle. And guess who sent them? The military. And guess what? Those guys were getting paid to do battle, right? right. U.S. government was paying the Navy SEAL's wife or the Army Grunt's wife right. to stay in Coronado and cash the check on the base every yeah. you know, two weeks and then go to the store and buy groceries and pay her mortgage. And, mm -hmm. and, and meanwhile, the guys in Vietnam or the Gulf or wherever he is, you know, fighting for our country and to keep us out of a war, get some other war to go away that wasn't directly threatening us, but whatever it may be. Yeah. Who are your warriors right now? Well, it's not the U.S. military and the U.S. government, mm -hmm. right? So your warriors are the people you see at these events. You need to fund yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. The biggest and thing. My God. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean to rip into the crowd of people who are already doing God's work and fighting for God and country, but because you're already doing the right thing, but you need to step up even more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those who, what's the saying? Those of whom, those who know or uh, asked even more of, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. To whom much is given, much is required. <laughs> and there's, uh, yeah, for Thank sure. You. And it is a risk. It's, I mean, I lost my, I'm still fighting it. I'm, st I've got a crazy lawsuit because I got fired a year and a half ago. We've, and we're not making an income and it's, but you know what? You've got to just take it a day at a time. You once you, you know, you can't, I mean, I guess you could, but like, once you know, how can you turn back? I can't turn back. I mean, every day I'm like, maybe I should just go get a job. I can't. <laughs> I can't go do that. It's that yeah. same concept. It, it is. And so, you know, watch your favorite podcasters, buy their stuff. You know, I, it, it, you have to buy your stuff somewhere. You may as right. well buy it through a podcaster who gets a piece of the action. I used to think network marketing and affiliate stuff was the stupidest stuff ever. <laughs> that was before 2020. Exactly. And now I'm like, okay, I need to not be supporting Bud and Target, right? Yeah. And we need to be support, supporting the people who are doing the work. So if I can buy my stuff that I need to buy anyway, because I need to have chicken soup and a kid's yeah. backpack, whatever, through somebody I know who's going to be supported to stay in the fight, that is how you fund your favorite people. Throw us a fundraiser. Okay. I have had zero income in 41 and a half, two months now. And I took my husband down with us. We used to have a great stem cell company. That's how I self-funded my fight for freedom and the brothel and all that. I imagine if you had had no paycheck since March 14th, 2020, that was my last paycheck. Wow. Like, thank God we were getting ready to pay off our house. And we had a little bit of a nest egg saved up and I hadn't paid off my house. Right. But like, I'm not a Kennedy. I don't have a trust exactly. fund. That is that little nest egg, that's gone. So, right. which is why Clay Clark, thank you very much. He told me to open a podcast two years ago, but I got to tell you something. I was too damn busy. I was doing convoys. I was doing nationwide walkouts. Yeah. I was making- You were in the fight. You were, yes. Yeah. You were yes. in the battlefield. You're on the war grounds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I've had no assistant. I'm a one man band. When you <laughs> give me five bucks at one of these events and then you call me a year and a half later and like, oh, my accountant needs a receipt and it takes me like a month to get the receipt to you. Guess what? 
there's no assistant back exactly. here. It's me just going, oh, let me do this and try to get them in the, you know, whatever. So yeah, I love you all, but I need to be monetized this yeah. year. Hence yeah. the book, hence the podcast. Watch us, you know, buy your stuff from us as trivial as that sounds. That is the way you keep people the way we the do it. Yeah. And, and throw us fundraisers. I have a 501c3 nonprofit. Like, hello, like I need a fundraiser. Yeah. If you're a party planner and you, God love you, you don't want to go be a Navy SEAL like me and go to where bombs go off and drag little kids out of brothels. I get it. Like most people in their right mind don't want to do that. Or they don't want to take a summer off, never see their kid and go on a convoy yeah. or go on a whatever like I have. I grant you that. But here's, here's God's honest truth. If you actually believe you're at war, we're at war and we are. And, and I know, you know, we are, Yep. you either need to do one of two things every day, not once every four and a half months when you have a minute, every damn day, you should put a post-it note on your mirror that says this, what am I giving to the fight? And your job, your job is to either give your time or your money. Yes. I don't care which it is. If you're a rich guy and you want to stay safe, then you know what? You get your damn checkbook out and exactly. you write a check every month to your favorite Freedom Fighting Foundation. And you need to do, give it to the people who are getting stuff done. Yeah, I don't care. And I'm not here to throw shade, but lawsuits are not working in the blue states. Okay. They're just not. Right. And all of us American donors are like, oh, we need to do another lawsuit and another this. And okay. If, you, if you're in a red state, maybe. But yeah. if you're giving money to a Freedom Fighting outfit, you, need, you also need to go do your stats on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is like buying a car. If the transmission falls out a block away, you don't just go, oh, well, I gave 10 bucks or $10,000 or a hundred grand to the car yeah. dealership for my new car and it's not working, but I'm just going to ignore that. No, no, no. You go back and you make them fix it or give you a new car. That's so good. I don't care if the person you're giving money to is good hearted. Right. This is Navy SEAL time. If you're yeah. good hearted Navy SEAL had too much caffeine and his hand is shaking and you're handing him bullets and he's firing high and wide and you've given him 50 bullets and he hasn't hit the mark once. Oh my gosh. Are you going to keep doing that silliness? Or are you going to go get out of the way? Give me the gun or give yeah. somebody else the gun. Okay. So I, I don't think this is a sustainable track record, what I've done, but I'm here to tell you, I've done one initiative every 30 to 60 days for the last 42 months and they have been a hundred percent successful. I did not file a lawsuit. I did not sue over the vaccine passports. Yeah. I, I gave them hell on the microphone. I said, how dare you put us into Warsaw Ghetto 2.0? All they did was have the LA Times do a hit piece on me. You know what? Mm -hmm. Did I walk away in shame and go, well, I tried and I failed? No. I found a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. I said, what do you think about these passports? She goes, that's a Nazi plan. That is how Hitler started hunting my people. I go, I know. Would you give me a 30-second soundbite? I cold-called her. This was not somebody in my Rolodex. It took, took me a week or two to even find her phone number. I cold called her. I said, I'm a lawyer. You don't even care what my name is. You don't know me, but I got a question. What do you think about this? And she said, Nazi plan. And I said, would you be willing to give me a 30 second soundbite? And wow. she goes, yep. Call me tomorrow on Zoom at 6 a.m. your time. I'll give you the soundbite. And she did. And then I made a TV commercial. And then I asked CNN, Fox, and MSNBC how much to run this ad every hour that basically tells everybody, hey, this is a Nazi era plan if you do these vaccine passports. And they came back and they said a quarter million dollars. Did I have it? No, I'm not Simone Gold. I'm not Bobby. I'm not CHD. I'm not America's frontline doctors. I'm not raking in millions of dollars and letting it sit in my nonprofit covers. I did not just have the money sitting there. I had like 10 bucks sitting there. <laughs> and, and then my advertising lady goes, and I go, well, I think that's doable in maybe a week if I just do a bunch Please. of fundraisers. Yeah. And she goes, she goes, they need a credit card right now to hold the space or you're going to lose the space, the ad yeah. space. Wow. So then I start reading her the back of my Amex card. 
And then I have to go to my husband, who I just asked to not be a doctor this week and yet again make no money this week and ask him to be Del Big Tree, even though he's not a TV producer. He does a darn fine job doing video editing and make me a TV ad. And then two minutes later, I'm back downstairs in his office going, oh, and by the way, I just ran a quarter million dollars on our Amex. And he's like, are you high? And I'm like, I'm stepping out of the bait in, in fa boat in faith. And yes, I am high. I'm high on faith and passion. And here's the reality, babe. If Orange County doesn't backfill my coffers and we have to file bankruptcy or our FICO goes down to 300 from 800, it won't freaking matter because either this works, yeah. we stay out of a FEMA camp or it won't. Yeah. And you and I will be living in a FEMA camp and it won't matter what our FICO score is. Right. And he goes, I love you. We're going to do this. And God willing, it took me six fundraisers, not the two I had thought. Orange County backed my play and I gave all the money to CNN, by the way. I did not keep any, I did not keep 50 grand, which is what Hollywood would have kept for right. making a TV ad that kicked yeah. ass, by the way. And that is how we got rid of the vaccine passport. Yeah. But I go to these donors and I say, and they go, what do you do? Can I write you a check for a lawsuit? And I go, no, I'm not going to file one. It won't work. Yeah. 99% of the lawsuits filed in, in the freedom fight in Cali have not worked. They've not worked. We've had three or four wins out of hundreds of cases that have been filed. Yeah. And, and the donors are like, uh, does not compute, does not compute. It's like, it's like making a grocery list and going to the store. You're like apples, bananas, and pears. And I say, buy a jackfruit. And they're like, what the, what the, what? A, yeah. what, a jack, what? A cherimoya, what? Yeah. It is not in their list of things you do. But right. I am here to tell you, you are not an American country anymore. This right. is not the US of A. No. This is communist 101. And you need to start fighting, fighting with the fighters who are used to getting stuff done mm -hmm. in the middle of a communist country like I work in, where the government is out to hurt you, not help you like I work at, mm -hmm. and doing very novel initiatives that don't rely on first world toolkits because those toolkits don't oh, work right yeah. now. And so, yeah, I need funding. This is a long way of saying I need funding. But the answer to your question is read my book, buy my book. That helps fund me a little bit. Watch my podcast. And if you're motivated to get involved in human trafficking or the freedom fight, and you should be motivated to do both, yeah. throw us all a fundraiser. Or yeah. if you're an accountant, offer to do my year-end taxes for right. the nonprofit. I'm not an accountant. Every every time I don't have to write a check for three grand to a website designer or an accountant uh -huh. or a party planner, that's money I can use to fight for your kid or fight for some sex slave overseas. So you don't have to be the one on the front line. Yeah. But if you're not going to be the one on the front line because you like to put your head on Mike Lindell's pillow every night and stay off the front line, God bless you. But for God's sakes, and I do mean for God's sakes, start funding the guys who are on the front line. That's we right. That's so good. I, I love it. It's, it's, it's tiring. It, it's, we need it. We need that so badly. And, um, wow. I'm not going to add anything else to it <laughs> other than all I want to say is amen sister. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Well, I would love to have you back again another time and, um, yeah. and keep updating and, and really, because people need to, to be trained and they need to see that this is, <laughs> We're just like, I feel sometimes like the world is ready to explode or implode one of one of oh. the two or both. So thank you for fighting and being yes. such an example. Um, because we are winning the fight, by the way. I, I want to leave your folks with that. We, we really, really are winning the fight. When you've got 90% of CNN people not watching CNN, 42% of Democrats are watching Tucker and, and or yeah. Fox, you know, I mean, 
people are waking up and you know, if I could, can I, can I end on two quick little quotes Absolutely. along with where to buy my book? So yes. you can buy my book at leedundas.com. I have extra letters in my name. My mother gave me extra letters. So that's how you spell my name. Leedundas.com. Um, it is called. For those, for those listening, I just want to spell it L E I G H D U N D A S.com for those of okay. you that are audio and yes. I'll have links also below. Perfect. And the name of the book is just stand up my fight for freedom from the brothels of Asia to the streets of America. Cause that is what we need to do. We need to just stand up. You could get it on Amazon, but I make zero money literally doing that. So if you'd buy it from my website instead, um, that keeps the lights on so I can continue to fight for everybody's freedom for another month. Um, and then if you want to make a one-time tax deductible donation or see what I'm up to on the freedom side of things, freedomfighternation.org, leadundus.com. Those are where you can find me. Um, I want to close with two quotes. Winston Churchill said, uh, if you will not fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory will be sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all the odds mm -hmm. against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may even be a worse fate. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory, because it is better to perish than to live as slaves. And in my book, I talk about a sex slave who was about to be executed in a firing line and instead said, give me the gun, I'll shoot myself. And when she stood up to her would-be executioner, she ended up securing her freedom. So as dark as it may be, as hard as it may be to stand up to your boss or your husband or the grocery store clerk over the mask or the vax or the whatever, I am here to tell you, it doesn't get easier the longer you wait. It gets worse because you have fewer funds and the, the stakes are even higher and the, the, what you have to lose is even more hanging in the balance. So mm -hmm. Churchill was spot on when he said that. Uh, and the man would know. I mean, he and FDR got us out of World War II. But the other quote that I really, really like, aside from MLK Jr., who said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, which is why you should fight injustice no matter where you see it, was Margaret Mead who said, never doubt that a small group of citizens can change the world for indeed we're the only ones who ever have. Um, and when you look at it, all of the dark eras of humanity, we survived. We survived or the human race, would we would have done ourselves in and none of us would be looking at each other and hearing right. each other right now. So you have to recognize that eventually good people get out in front of whatever the threat is. Mm -hmm. The only question is not whether we're going to win. It's how long we're going to allow this to go on before we win. If all of the Germans had just stood up and said, hell no, Hitler, we're not doing this crazy schizophrenic yeah. 20 years, it would have been over before it started. And that is what we need to realize. The power is always in our hands. It's a lie that it ever lay anywhere else. It always lies in our hands. We just need to use it. So stand up, fight your corner. And uh, I'm sure Tanya Joy and I will be seeing you at the next Freedom Fighter event. Yes. And I know the people out here are doing a magnificent job. If you have not had somebody tell you lately you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job. I know it's not easy. We just need to keep doing more of it and uh, finding who the Freedom Fighters are and making more new ones as we go. And we'll get this done. Amen. Oh, so good. Thank you so much, Lee, for joining us today. Uh God bless you in the fight. Y'all, thanks for joining. Share this show out. That's the first thing you can do to get involved. Share this on all your social media. Share it to your friends and family. All right, God bless y'all. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Beauty for Ashes with Tanya Joy. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, 
share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and remember you were created for such a time as this.